Okay, well, another welcome to you if you've just joined us, if you've joined us online. Grateful to see you today. I wanted to quickly introduce myself. My name is Vince. I've been around here for just over a decade. And I wanted to maybe just introduce, I've, I was an engineer before and I've always been a musician, civil engineer. I love building roads and um, one of my passions actually, so when I drive past somebody building a road, I look for all the nonsense that they're creating there. I feel like climbing out and telling them, come on, no, this is wrong. <laughs> Trying to, to inter- interfere. But also I'm, I'm a husband. That's one of my primary jobs. Uh, I'm a full-time husband to the most beautiful woman in the world here, Sharice uh, Swanepoel. Hello. So pretty. Uh, this is my family. There's a photo of my family here somewhere. I'm a father to those two lovely children, Nova the oldest on the right and Vida the youngest on the left. Basically, Nova is like Cinderella and Vida is Spider-Man. So, so it's amazing how they're raised in the same home. It's so different, Right. Uh, so the other day, the other day I was, I was, there's another picture of them painting as well. Oh, they're so sweet. They're painting a train. We got a box. So we decided, well, this box needs to become a train. So basically for a few weeks, that big box was just shifting up and down our passage. <laughs> Choo-choo, and then goes back. Daddy, can you come push, push us in the train? So I, I didn't know I was making work for myself by painting a train. That's what parenting is all about. The other day, I was walking past Nova's room. And uh, she, was, she was in the mirror, right? You know when children, they're in the mirror. And I, went, and I don't know, what do you think about it? And I, said, and I was looking through the, like, what is she doing? And as, then she turns around and starts coming out of her room, like, whoa! And, just, right? and I, I pretend then I was just coming back from my room, from our room. And I walk past her, and she pops out of, the, out of her door, and she goes, What? <laughs> I said, nothing. It's amazing. Sometimes we see what God's doing in our lives and we just pretend like we didn't see anything, right? (sighs) I'm going to pretend like I didn't see that, Lord. I, I, you know, we wanted to talk about a series called Walk the Line. And, you know, it's how do we live a righteous life but feel like whenever you're walking, you're tripping? You know, when you're, when you're walking the line, but get tripped up, or get stuck in something. This Christian journey is often uh, not, not what we thought it would be. We go in through the narrow gate, and then once we're on this narrow way, we, we encounter things we didn't expect. Am I right? So I wanted to talk about how we live a righteous life, a fulfilling life, uh, while walking the line. So... How about the price of eggs? Hey? <laughs> My favorite one is like a picture of all these boxes of eggs. And then it says, um, I won't tell anybody when I win the lottery, but there will be signs. <laughs> there will be signs. And all these pictures of people say like two eggs in a hand saying like willing to trade, you know, three bedroom house with a pool and a garage, you know, can be at the coast as well. I don't mind. Um, that, or like some people selling some eggs, like don't lowball me. I know what I got, you know, willing to trade for a Jeep. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, I thought of the fact that the devil doesn't pay a living wage. You know, sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't get a living wage enough to, you know, get by. We do, we do feel that sometimes, but the devil does not pay a living wage. The wages of sin is death. He's bent on making you pay as much as possible 
for you to get as little as possible. So sometimes we feel like, you know, we're, we're losing on both sides. We're, we're, we're losing in sin and um, we're losing our life at the same time. I can't live on the devil's wages. So sometimes on the straight and narrow, this idea of walking the line, what happens is, uh, you know, there's, there's a scripture. Maybe we should read it and, and see what we can take from there. I wanted, I wanted to start off with Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. It's on the screen. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. On this Christian pilgrimage, all the snares and the arrows happen on the straight and narrow. There are no snares planted on the Broadway. The enemy sets up his camp along the narrow way, looking who he might steal off of it and take off course. The snares are hidden just one step off of the narrow way. And so all these trip-ups come on the narrow way, not necessarily on the broad way. There are many ways off the, broad, the, the narrow way, but only one way back on. There's only one way on. Jesus, the door. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to talk about how to stay the course and what to watch out for on this little three-week Walk the Line series, the journey of faith, and you know how how we trip up sometimes and how to deal with that. You know, I, was, I started my Christian journey. I was on a trip, not on a bad trip, but I was tripping. <clears throat> okay, I was on the Christian journey, but I was tripping, right? I just kept drifting off the line. And I still find that happening, to be honest. You know, you drift off the line by just not being able to have self-control over something, self-control of your anger, and your, your thoughts drift and I'm wondering what the solution is to this drift that comes when we drift off the line. Have you, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to give you a definition of a word in English. We all know it. Can we have the word up, Curtis? It's this word. I'll give you the definition of that word. Does anybody know the definition of that word? It's for when somebody pours milk into your cup of tea or coffee, and when it's just or when your child's about to do something or go outside in the that's the definition. Do you use that? Or somebody? This is English 101 here today. So I learned something this weekend. So, but this Christian journey, we're walking on the line, we can sense sometimes God saying, but we still, like when you tell your child, but they still drop the thing or throw the thing or pull their sissy's hair or whatever it is. I mean, that's a simple example, but sometimes we ignore that God's, and we, what is, what is wrong with us? I would say, well, walking the line, here's the definition. Talking about definitions, here's the definition for walking the line. It's to mark or secure a boundary by walking along it. 
So just by our walk, we are determining boundaries. We are determining that some things are acceptable to us and some things are not. Some things we will have self-control for, and sometimes we don't. So we are determining these boundaries of our lives by the way that we walk. Essentially, we're asking today, how ought believers to keep on the straight and narrow, seeing as though that's where all the attacks happen and that's where all the difficulty comes? There are no snares on the Broadway, as we said. So while we walk the line, we are presented with many counterfeits, many traps, many fights, and many distractions, disruptions. How do we overcome them? How do we overcome, in light of the fact that we do not know as well, the lines which the enemy takes. I want to caution us right off the, the start here. Uh, when I was younger, I thought I, I thought I knew everything about the enemy. Right? I knew how sneaky he is and how cunning he is, what tricks he uses. But I found out I'm wrong. I do not want us to presume ourselves to be wise about the lines that the enemy takes. Because if he could fool Adam who was in God's perfect presence, was created in the perfect image of God, and he tricked that guy and that lady. Who, do you think, you know, me born in sin with my evil desires here on earth? You don't think yourself too wise about the devil's tricks. We ought to discern the voice of God because God can see where the devil walks. And we then look into God's eyes to see where he looks to note where to walk. But don't pretend you're wise about the devil's tricks. Just admit it. It's like, ah, it's that guy, he's clever. He knows things about me. And he knows how to use them. So I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to caution you about the devil. He's defeated, right? Amen? Amen. Defeated. But, but caution just thinking that, you, that you're wise about him. So, there are three problems today I want to help us overcome. Three problems when we walk the narrow way or this walk the line in our Christian journey. And the three problems are the problems of hooves, animal hooves, <laughs> the problem of hassles, and the problems of hooks. These are the three problems I want to help us overcome today. And here we go, the first problem. The problem of hooves. When we pass the exam, but fail in life. When I was a student, uh, I, I was a 60 percenter. Any 60 percenters over here? Whoop, whoop, whoop. Hey, studied just enough, but had a good time as well. Others were like, 40 percenters, too much good times. <laughs> Others, even 90s guys, they were like, I don't believe in good times. You know, you win the chocolate for the highest marks in the class every time. I was a 60 percenter, okay? I, I'm proud of it because I realized that when I got to my job as an engineer, I could apply 100% of my 60%. <laughs> and some, not all, some of the 90 percenters could barely apply 20% of their 90% which means they were at 18% life, and I was at 60% life. <laughs> and I realized that some, sometimes on our Christian journey, I could give you the right answer, but I'm failing at life in that topic. When I was on my sabbatical, wow, I got, God just, for one topic in my life, he just trampled all over me. 
saying, you were failing at this one. You know the answer of your church had to ask you, but come on, man. And I just felt so much mercy in God working with me over this one particular issue. And I was, I was really struck by it. I, thought, I can't believe that I've known the answer, but lived it wrong. And I almost started to despair that I'd got it wrong. But I was just met with so much mercy. in his correction. So when you feel like you you can't apply everything just well enough, there is mercy. Yeah? Here's the problem of hooves. One of the things that we can't seem to get right on our Christian journey. Let's read Leviticus 11 verses 1 to 3. Now, if you know your Bible, you're like, Vincent's. Are you going to read from Leviticus today? Right, okay, but bear with me. Cherie said I must put this in. She thought this is good. Okay, so. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Here's how to walk the line, Israel. Okay. Of all the land animals, okay, well, hold on. They are the ones, these are the ones that you may use for food. You may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and choose the cud. No, he means yet. Okay. <laughs> okay, we know what a split hoof animal is, right? Sort of a horse's hoof, but split in two. Like, <laughs> like a sheep, etc. And choose the cud. Chewing the cud of those animals is sort of, oh, it's a bit gross, but re-choose some of their food in order to control acidity levels in their stomach. So he's saying, eat only the animals that do both. This is clean living. What am I saying? (laughs) Chewing the cud and split hooves. Some people struggle to part ways with unrighteousness. But they know the word. That was me, right? I knew the word, but I struggle to part ways with incorrect living. A camel, he says, don't eat that. It's not a clean way of living. I was a camel, okay? I knew the word. I chewed the cud. <laughs> but no split hoof. Other way around is the pig. I'm not calling anyone pigs. I'm just... <laughs> I call myself a camel, I guess it's okay. Is you, you, you um, don't chew the cud, but you have a split hoof. So you remove yourself from everybody, but... You become bitter because you can't chew the cud. It's acidic. And you become ill inside from loneliness. This is the line you must walk. Divide from unrighteousness and meditate on the word. What is the hoof problem then? It's like I said. Some read God's word but refuse to part ways with unrighteousness. Some remove themselves from unrighteousness but the word is not in them. So become acidic people and bitter people. We've seen those holy huddles, right? I remove myself from the word and from the world and only do my own thing. There's a danger in that too. So what do we do for the hoof problem? We put to death the sinful nature, the old man, and we ask God for new desires. You know, we we can't fix this all on our own strength. God give me new desires. I call them taste buds. 
God, give me a distaste for unrighteousness and give me new taste buds. <laughs> give me a taste for something new. Like if you've never had a taste for spicy food, you know, but everyone is eating it and your, and your wife or your girlfriend or your husband, whichever, you know, really likes it. You're like, Lord, please help me. Let me, you know, try this out. <laughs> and eventually, you know, you'll get there. Colossians 3 verse 5 says the following. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. <sighs> Watch out when you know God's word but refuse to change your ways. You're drifting off the line. Or when you part ways with unrighteousness but don't stand on the word of God, you're drifting off the line. Here's some practical things for you if you're drifting off the line and if you have this problem of the hoof. Get into a small group and chew the cud with some other people. <laughs> yeah, get into a small group. Chew the cud with some other people and act in accordance with your new nature. When I, when I was in high school, I got an honors blazer. It wasn't for anything impressive. I was still a 60% back then. <laughs> Maybe a 70s, I guess. But I got an honors blazer in grade 10. I don't know if one of my schoolmates are here, he usually comes to church sometimes. It was his birthday a few weeks ago. Um, happy birthday, Hinku. Uh, we had, he, had a, he had a very nice, he had the top honours blazer, the most honorary of honours blazers. Right. It was maroon, just like, ooh. Very impressive. You stand out. And I had the black one. You get the stripy one and you get a black one. So it's just one step up. But when you get the blazer, you have to act in accordance with the blazer, with the new coat. With the new nature, we act in accordance with how God sees us, not with how we see us. I am a son or daughter of the living God. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the image of God is restored in me. I am his. Sometimes just instead of acting how you feel or see yourself, put on that coat of righteousness and act in accordance with it with the new nature. Amen? Now there's, thank you, yeah. There, I'm going to leave some of these on an edge. And we're going to solve all of them at the end. Is that okay? The second problem is the problem of hassles. Whew, this one hurt me, can I be honest? When the easy gets hard. When easy things become hassles and hard to do. Let's take prayer for example. What do I mean? Prayer is the position that the devil is struggling for. And the struggle is around the position of prayer and the simplicity of prayer. Prayer should be easy for us because what it cost God to enable us to pray. Sometimes we think we've got to go through everything Jesus went through. As we, Jesus went through something so we don't have to. <laughs> it cost God the ultimate price for prayer for us to be easy. So when prayer for us is hard, we have to watch out. Some things Jesus went through, we should also go through. And he went through them in order to sympathize with our weakness, to know the human nature like being tempted or understanding the loss of a friend. This week, 
uh, we had three funerals here at Father's house, within the family. It was quite a strange week, but one thing that was um, really striking on my personal journey, I sat on that chair there when a daughter shared about uh, loss of uh, her father, and or her mother, and um, I just started welling up with tears. As we in previous years, I would really struggle to feel something at a service like that. And I was just thanking God that I was feeling something, right? I'm just being real here. And where compassion used to be difficult for me, I realize that compassion, because of what it cost Jesus, should be easy for me. And when it's tough for me, I need to look out and go work on something. Something is missing. When we put the emphasis on the line of prayer being a cost to us, we are wrong. The cost to us is nothing. There's no cost in worshipping Jesus. There's no cost in serving him. It's a supreme and superb privilege marked by supernatural ease because of what it cost him. It is not prayer that is strenuous. It's overcoming our laziness that is strenuous. The basis of prayer is not what it costs us, but what it costs God for us to be able to pray. Ephesians 6 says, take the whole armor of God. And this is not to fight, yeah, come here, enemy, but to stand. Take the armor to stand. We are not told to attack with a sword, to run. But when the storms or the thoughts of darkness come, we are told to stand. Unpanicked and unbudged. More than conquerors. This is the problem of hassles. Somebody who is just a conqueror, I'd say that person fights and wins. But we are more than conquerors. This is somebody who fights and wins easily. I just stand and I win. In the right place and I win. We are more than conquerors. This sounds like somebody who easily and powerfully overcomes. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we cannot touch these principalities and powers by intellect, organization, or our own courage, or forethought. We cannot touch them at all unless we are based on the perfect redemption of Jesus Christ and what it cost him for us to be able to stand and win. When we pray easily, it's because Satan's defeated. But when we pray with difficulty, he might be getting the upper hand. Watch out when things that are easy become a hassle to you. You're drifting off the line. Prayer, worship, fellowship, church are not, are not costs to us. They are great privileges. It's costly to God, so it might be easy to us. Luke 18, 27, Matthew sang it just in a little phrase here. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It was impossible for me to pray, but with God, it's now easy. The access is open. It was impossible for me to have real, authentic fellowship 
But because of what it costs God, you and I can share this moment and share worship together. It was impossible actually for the gift of preaching to be a powerful tool into the world. Otherwise, without the presence of God, it would be foolishness. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Because it was costly to him, it is free to us. It is our privilege. So I want you to thank God with me today. Can we thank him for the privilege of worship? Come, let's thank him for the privilege of prayer. Can we thank him for the privilege of forgiveness, which is free, for the privilege of communion, for the privilege of serving him, for the privilege of reading his word, free. Oh, it's not a burden to read my word. It's free. Watch out for the problem of hassles. Get into thankfulness when prayer is difficult. Don't condemn yourself. Prayer is a hassle now. Vince said if it's a hassle, the devil's getting the upper hand. No. Go to the fountain of mercy and find help. And let the condemnation fall off you like water off a duck's back. (laughs) Amen. Oh, then the third problem is the problem of hooks and snares. Here's the definition of snares. We've got the definition. When you're stuck in a snare, to trap or gain power over someone by dishonest or underhanded means. Ooh, like a spider ensnaring a fly or an insect in their web. Traps. There are two devastating snares. They're almost invisible. What's hectic about snares is that they're not like out in the open. Oh, look, a snare. I should avoid this. <laughs> da, 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 da. Got you, devil. Ha! No, no, no. The snares are in hidden places, under things where you least expect them. There are two very, very devastating snares. Firstly, the snare of despair. Think of Elijah, 1 Kings 19, verses 3 to 5. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself uh, went a day's journey into the wilderness, oh, go into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he just lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Despair comes from a spirit of fear. But for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Despair sounds like this. I've wasted so much time. Why did I give my life to the Lord only when I was 57? I've wasted so much time. God, I wish I had served you more. Woe is me. Oh, I've messed up again. Oh, no, I just can't get over this thing. God will never, oh, I'll never overcome this addiction. Oh, like Job's wife saying, just curse God. You're like Job, he says, I have no peace, no quietness, and I have no rest, but only turmoil. Job's sin was his despair. This that I'm describing, this despair, is what is called spiritual depression. When your heart is so hard, you can't even repent anymore. Ah, just give up about that thing, God. Just lay under this tree. And wait, maybe you'll accept me one day. Watch out for the snare of despair. 
The second snare is the snare of shame. Shame is a bold villain. Shame sees glory in the things that God detests. We think shame is to be ashamed of something we did or about who we are. I heard a quote by a preacher a while ago that I thought it was good, but I want to just one-up it a little bit, if I may. It's shame or guilt is ashamed of what you did. Shame is being ashamed of who you are. But I'm going to say that the snare of shame and the trap of shame is to be ashamed of who God is. That's a whole other level of shame. The snare of shame is to be trapped in reputation and to shun your association with the creator of this world and the saviour of your soul. You're on the narrow way, you're walking the line, but you hope no one sees you. That snare is most dangerous of all. Just think of Peter shunning his association with the saviour. And I know some people who are so bold and unashamed. Think of Eugene. He's not in church today, he's playing golf somewhere uh, on a little holiday. But he just, it's just when you see him, he wants to talk about God. The thing that he values most, he talks of first. And he's just so proud to be associated with his saviour. Oh, and when he talks, just stirred up. And a few of you like this, Denning, you're like that. It's like you just can't wait to tell somebody about Jesus, what he's done, or what, if, what prayer he's answered and what he's doing. You just, let's get a small talk. I just wanted to <laughs> just go straight for it. Because the thing you value most, you talk about first. Yeah. Beautiful. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I wanted to restore some of the ashamed people here today. Not only ashamed for what you do to who you are, but sometimes being ashamed that I don't know if I can stand up and, and show my faith. There is mercy for you too. But watch out that that snare doesn't grab you for a long time. Shame leads to a slow death. Now, coming to an end, if it's okay, I have two minutes left. I need at least another 25. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, this. watch out for self-confidence as well. When you're drifting off the line. You know, now. About hooves and hassles and hooks. I wanted to tell you that I have the problem of the hoof. Sometimes I don't get it right. I'm a camel. I know some things, but they don't get to my hands. Sometimes prayer for me is hard. I have to face that. Sometimes worship for me is hard. I'm like, come on, Vincent, get into it. Sometimes community for me is hard. It's all these gifts that are easy. They're hard for me. Sometimes I get ensnared in despair too. Oh, this will never come right. That'll never. Sometimes I'm trapped in the snare of shame. I should say something, but I don't. So now you and I have two problems on this walk the road, walk the line road. You and I, we cannot live on the devil's wages. No. Nor can we carry the burdens of hooves, hassles, and snares, and hooks. 
We cannot keep the word and depart from sin. We struggle to pray and worship and we struggle to loose ourselves from the snares of despair and shame. So what do we do? I wanted to... Is it okay if I do an illustration? I had this broom. Has anybody noticed the broom lying here the whole time? <laughs> no? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, you won't be able to see the dust, I guess, but have you ever tried to sweep a room from the dust? And it's like you're just making more dust. And as you're sweeping, and as you're trying, you're like, this is more dust in the air. And it chokes you up. Snares, I try and tidy up my snares, my hassles. Lord, please, I can't. I'm trying so hard, Lord, to clean up my act here, walking the line, but I'm just creating more dust. Romans 5.20 says, For the law, or for our knowledge to know what is right, was brought in so that the trespass might increase. So the more we try to fix these things, it's like, the more there is. But the gospel of Jesus Christ comes the water of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you have sweep, sweeping a room somewhere and you sprinkle some water, the dust just settles. For where sin did abound, grace superabounds. <laughs> to walk the line there is no trying. There is my faith. There is my faith. And the supernatural power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that enables me to tidy up my life. And it is by grace, grace upon grace alone that I'm able to walk the line at all. Now to the one who works, Romans 4 verses 4 and 5 says, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. If you could clean this all up without that water, God would have to kick Jesus off his throne and put you there. However, verse 5, to the one who does not work and waits, and lets the gospel sprinkle and trusts God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. Then, okay, Lord, I can. But the water comes first and the work comes second. And then you find yourself all of a sudden in the place under grace where prayer is easy and worship, I do it freely. And the snares come off in worship and praise. And I'm not stuck to my shame anymore because the water has brought the dust down.
Would you stand with me? Second Timothy 2 verse 1 says the following. So you, my son, my daughters, be strong. Be constantly strengthened and empowered in the grace that is to be found only in Christ Jesus. Oh, we will find grace nowhere else. We allow the gospel to do its free and awesome work in our lives. We will find ourselves the beneficiaries of something we could never buy or do or earn or become. We become the righteousness of God. And walking the line, when we trust him like this, his salvation is a wall to my left and a wall to my right. And I'm walled in by the beautiful gospel. And no snare can entrap me. And no shame can hold me down. And no hassles are too hard. I find it easier to part ways with unrighteousness. And I drink from the well of the water of God with gratitude. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is amazing grace. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, thank you for the gospel. (laughs) Thank you that because of what you did, we stand in the free gift of fellowship today. We stand in the free gift of grace. We stand in the free gift, being able to worship your holy name. Lord, for those who are trapped unable to part ways with some things that are just unrighteous. Lord, would you wash them in your mercy today? Would you show your no more condemnation in Christ face to them? Would you set them free? I'm going to trust in the gospel. Father, for those for who their journey has been a bit of a sweat and a pain, Troubling to get to the Word and troubling to get to church and troubling to... Oh, it's just such a weight. Lord, would you release them and show them the privilege of communion with you. For those who are trapped in snares, Psalm 91, Lord, says, He delivers us from the fowler's snare. Would you deliver from every snare, every entrapment and every disease? every illness that has become a snare, every state of mind that has become a snare, would you release in Jesus' name? For some who has their past as their snare, would you bring freedom in Jesus' name? Amazing grace the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but
I'm found I was blind But now I see Through many dangers Through many dangers Toils and snares I have already come towards grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me. shout of praise in this house the privilege of amazing grace thank you Lord oh. yes, thank you Father for your amazing love oh what a divine privilege to know you light up our way Jesus let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path your presence empower us your spirit sustain us and your wisdom guide us as we walk the line. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. There's prayer up front here. If you're visiting, please say hi in the guest lounge. We'll see you for coffee afterwards. Cheerio.